everybody. Welcome to New World Pictures Podcast bonus episode. We have a, our second part of our interview with Tony Randall and Peter Atkins. Are you ready? My name's Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. I have never been more ready. And Erica. Welcome to part Dieu. <laughs> This is the second part of our interview with Tony Randall and Peter Atkins. If you haven't heard the first one, go back two weeks and listen to the first part. We're going to talk about a bunch of amazing stuff. Tony was and Peter were so generous with their time. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hear a lot of cool stories. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff we get to talk about. A lot of Tony's history and Peter's history. I think we're going to go a little bit more, do I dare say, Hellraiser? Are we going to talk about some Hellraiser stuff in here? We probably will. Yeah, yeah. I think we we do. So, yes, we're going to hear some stories about Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser, some of their career as well after that, where where they both went after that. And uh, you're just going to get a bunch of good stories about New World, Hellraiser, uh, directing, Mm -hmm. the business, the industry. it's amazing. I will, say it's, we, I will say we got a lot more stories than I expected and good stories of, mm-hmm. of ju- them yeah. just sharing little bits of insight, little little things, kind of behind the scenes stuff that that doesn't really show up on Blu-rays or even in Leviathan. It, it, you know, it was a it, it became a very fun conversational interview. And I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I hope that everyone really enjoys it as much as I did, because my 14 year old self kept vomiting all the time from nerves. <laughs> uh, but my much older than 14-year-old self just kept peeing myself the whole time, which was a little weird. Um, but, you know, that we're on Zoom, so they never got to see it. So I'm so glad you've managed to work out the two of you guys together, still working in syncopation. We're, we're, no, we're, we're working at, at, at odds with each other, but at you know, well, it feels I, I like, feel like it feels like he's puking, you're peeing. You guys feel like you still there's still some symbi- symbiosis yeah, sure. there. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, but uh, said, yeah, yeah, we were all very nervous for this interview, but I don't I hopefully it won't show because we do have a very good time with these guys. And uh here's the second part. Tony Randall and Peter Atkins. Enjoy. So I suppose we should uh, be additionally feeling additionally privileged that we're talking today. If you just said you would not go, do another documentary on this, <laughs> if you so. guys knew the amount of arm twisting I did on your behalf, <laughs> well, thank you, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> we, uh, we, we owe you a we, gift basket. We, yeah, we appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, so this much. is this is not a documentary. It's not a documentary, but right. it's not about Hellraiser either. We're just we're just on that subject. But right. just yes. to, just to add a, a you know a period to the conversation about Pete and my meeting my little boy who is now 28 years old his middle name is Peter hmm. wow that's awesome there you didn't you want it to be Pietro or what was it Petro Petro his name is George Ronnie Petre <laughs> He's named, he's named for my best friend, so that's that's that's, that's great. Awesome. That's awesome. I like that a lot. Um, uh, that little boy, by the way, is a rocket scientist. You know that really? expression? Well, he's no rocket scientist. Well, guess who is a rocket scientist? <laughs> Tony Randall's fucking son. Rocket if, if you watch Shatner and go to space, yeah. Yeah, right. the reason you could hear his voice talking within the capsule is because of something my son built. Wow. Really? Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. Wow, yeah. that's very. I, that's that's a great story. All right, that's thanks amazing. everybody. That's amazing. We did it. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so that's amazing. Um, I was going to make a joke where he's like, but he's still trying to find your approval. Um, but, um, <laughs> but I can't imagine that that is at all the case after some. No, he doesn't that. care about his dad's approval after. <laughs> yeah, how does he yeah. get George's approval? <laughs> that's true. That's what, that sounds yeah. more appropriate. Right. Now, that, that's guys, that's our father that we're talking about. Yeah. Right. I know. I'm like projecting. I'm projecting <laughs> my own dad going. What's this podcast you keep pouring a lot of time and attention into? Um, but. Uh, so we're talking about Hellraiser being a success at the time. New World, you you knew it was going to be success. New World had an idea it was going to be success, and I and I I find it interesting because um, it feels to me like the company. And tell me if I'm wrong, uh, but I felt like the company was not prepared for a success the size of Hellraiser. 
because the the we we inadvertently covered the like slate of the end of 1987 with uh, flowers in the attic and pinocchio and the emperor of the night um <laughs> which are the two movies that followed hellraiser and it just felt like I, I felt like they were not ready uh for something this sizable in terms of its success they um i think they were a little bit embarrassed by genre mm. and flowers of the night fl- flower fl- what is it called flowers, flowers in, the in the attic flowers yeah. in the attic is such a nothing bland movie that that was so oh it's clean you know yeah but hands don't get dirty in that movie at all they also did the other one um <laughs> a script i loved that we did called louisiana swamp murders <laughs> we made the movie yeah we, really we did it was a great script it was gritty it was it came out as sister sister Okay, I was oh. about to say. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. What happened there? Now, now that was just awful. Now, the director, of course, went on to do really good stuff. Bill Condon. Mm-hmm. That movie was like, oh my god, this is just a bore. So you know, they they had a much more of a hoity-toity ex, um, aspirations. Was, right. I was just willing to get into the muck. Right. Yeah. Now they 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 marketed the first Hellraiser with having this video campaign called Watch and Wear, where they had a they had a, a, a an old a, a woman dressed as an old woman with with her with her dog watching a movie and saying after the movie you'll get to watch you'll get to call a one eight hundred number and order all this Hellraiser gear of gym bags and jackets bottles, satin jackets satin jackets. <laughs> Is there a warehouse somewhere full of this merchandise that you know? I, I have no memory of it of this. Okay. Oh, we have a friend who has literally, literally, and I'm I'm being dead serious, has been looking for thirty years to for try and find jacket. just for that satin jacket. Yeah, <laughs> they probably didn't make them, right, Tony? I mean, it, I don't know. Based on pre-orders, right? I, mean, I, it, I, I hate to ruin a friend's quixotic quest. You know, it's. <laughs> You but won't. They, they probably don't <laughs> this exist. This won't stop him. <laughs> well, they, this is a legit campaign. Like you can see the video on YouTube. It, it oh, really sure. was. It preceded oh, no, I, the video I and ended. The yeah, but the campaign yeah. existed. But yeah. they're not going to spend yeah. money on actually making this. Yeah. Thing. Right. 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 <laughs> I could see. Yeah, I could see New World taking the payment and then being like, "Thank <laughs> you," <laughs> just ending it there. Um, all right. So there's no. There's no. There's no secret warehouse. We'll let him know that that's the case. Tony's got them all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Was was William Shatner wearing a satin um, Hellraiser jacket when he went up to space? Was this something? (laughs) Yeah, when he held up the fuck you Picard card. (laughs) That would have been amazing. That would have been so incredible. Um, so, so Tony, then what, what, what point did you want to direct Hellraiser 2 when you're already now working on the second one? At what point did you feel like, okay, I, I want to do this as, a, as my um, debut dir- directorial effort? Um, the, Clive wanted um, Michael McDowell to right. direct. Who right. wrote Beetlejuice. Right. Mm-hmm. And High Spirits, mm-hmm. I think. And I met Michael. We had a meeting. Um, we did not click at all in a, in a meeting. I just, just not, mm-hmm. which was fine. I mean, I wasn't the, he, but I don't, I don't think it had anything to do with our meeting. He just, uh, because of personal reasons had to back out. And when he right. backed out that moment is when the light bulb went in my head. Well, we need a director. I should be it. Yeah. That, that was it. I had nothing to do with getting rid of him or anything. He just backed out. So you wanted to do it, and this is before Peter. You were involved, I, I, I would think, right? Because uh, yeah, because Michael McDowell was going to write. He was going to write. Oh, he was going to write. Yeah, okay. so he was going to write and direct it. Yeah. And, and so, so did you leave then uh, your job as production executive at New World to direct this movie? Yes. Okay, that's a big leap, but I mean, it's part of the second five-year plan, so. Like, I can check that box. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. 
And Peter, you get involved because Michael McDowell has to leave the project. Uh, yes, I, I wasn't aware of that at the time. I mean, sure. I, I was... Uh, Clive, Doug and I had all done theatre together in the 70s. We're all from Liverpool. Um, Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead. Obviously, right. you guys know that. I mean, we um, also refer to him by first name basis, but he doesn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we also call him Doug. By first name basis, too. Actually. <laughs> um, but I had left that theatre company to go back to Liverpool to go back into rock and roll. I'd been a musician before I joined Dog Company. And I was on the dole. So I, I, I didn't know anything of this. Um, but I had turned 30 and not become a pop star yet. So I started writing. Clive was kind enough to show a couple of pieces to Chris Figg and encouraged me to lie to Chris Figg that I was very familiar with screenplay formatting. So I, I, I knew nothing of New World except it was the American money. I didn't know any of this background stuff and obviously hadn't met Tony. Um, and my understanding was that I, I didn't know how lucky I was. The pound was so weak against the dollar that I don't think New World gave a shit. <laughs> they, they weren't policing what Chris Fig did. Also, Chris had delivered them a good movie. Um, so when Chris said, I think I found a guy who can write it, unless they, they were hiding an awkward truth from me, they basically said, great, let us see a draft when he's done it. So I, I only worked with Chris and Clive until I met Tony. I, as Like I said, I'd done a couple of drafts. And um, Tony was the first new worlder I met. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I, oh, Also, just to rewind, I, and again, Tony, you can say if this is true or not, but in, in one of uh, the instances where I believe Clive is telling the truth. He always credits Chris, who, who again is, is somebody that sort of disappeared, not necessarily from New World history or fandom, but from Hellraiser fandom. Chris Figg is very rarely talked about. Um, New World, whoever it was that Chris and Clive pitched Hellraiser to, this is pre-Hellbound, I'm, I'm not involved, um, but they passed whatever... I don't know if Clive hadn't eaten his breakfast that morning. His pitch was not good, I gather. And the pitch did not go down well in the room. And they had basically said no. Clive, who was at that stage a neophyte, I'm probably exaggerating as he exaggerates in the story, had literally stood up to leave thinking, oh, well, we've failed. We'll see if somebody else wants to do it. And Clive always gives credit to Chris, who said, wait a minute. Let me explain to you why you should do this movie. I, I don't know if you know anything about this, Tony, or if it's true, or if it was you to whom they would have been pitching. But the fact, the fact that Clive credits Chris makes me assume it's a true story, well, because it's uh, it, because it? it's not about <laughs> it's not about the aggrandizing of Clive. Where did this, where did Clive this always said happen? to me, you know, if it wasn't for Chris, we wouldn't have got this deal. Where, where so I, I just want to say that on Chris's behalf because I thought he was a fine producer and a good mm -hmm. guy. But you, you got no knowledge of that, Tony? Is that where not? did this meeting take place? Uh, according to Clive, Los Angeles, pre-shoot, or maybe somebody was in London. It was long before he was. They were literally pitching the. This was pre the novella Hellbound Heart. Mm. Clive and you know what? I bet it was in London. There must have been somebody. I, did, in I, I don't remember any story of them ever coming to LA huh. prior. Hmm. Maybe, I, I, maybe they London. did. I just didn't. I don't <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe Chris got a double budget. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but Chris is certainly the kind of guy who can persuade people to hand over money. Let's just uh, <laughs> put that on the line. I'll just say this, Chris was a great producer. Uh, he, sure. I, yeah, he was a great producer. Yeah. So when you are reading the second draft, does the second draft include the um, backstory for Pinhead as an English soldier? Yeah, that was in from the... Oh, I'm sorry. Well, the question was to Tony, but he better answer yes, because it, it was in there. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was. I just, yeah. Yeah, I just wonder because I, I, I know there's some contention on who created that particular. Wasn't there? Is there some 
or was I, I've I've heard that you guys were uh, we're not sure who exactly created that element of the second movie. You're asking a couple of old men to remember. <laughs> Fair enough. And, Fair and, enough. And we haven't had our prevagen yet. Um, <laughs> no, the thing is, I, my my response to that would be that um, imagistically, a First World War English officer sat in a concert hut in the very first draft of Hellbound. But the real backstory of the officer was both of us, because it was okay. for Hellraiser 3. Um, mm -hmm. We... I didn't name him in Hellbound and we didn't, other than the, the appearance of the radio and the uniform, mm -hmm. there was no, uh, there were no textual clues. There were some pictorial clues as to um, when and where he may have been doing this, but it was when Tony and I came up with the story for help for, well, one of, one of the stories that actually eventually became Hellraiser 3. Um, we we came up with him together. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves to talk about Hellraiser 3, but it, both he and I had separate strands of story. And when we realized we could put them together, we thought, oh, we're halfway there. We've, we've, we've got a movie now. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But the, That's when the you expanded that. The that whole element. sort of um, Elliot Spencer, you know, lost his soul in the fields of Flanders like the last generation. That's all Hellraiser three stuff. It Got was it. just, yeah, sure. uh, but yeah, he was he was sitting there in the concert hut working the box in uh, yes. from the first draft on. Yes, okay, a very so hot this... concert hut, very hot, <laughs> very. <laughs> <laughs> so now this is obviously the first movie you've written and the first movie you've directed, Tony. Or again, this could be just another lie on IMDb that says that you did some uncredited directorial work on DefCon Four. No, that's wrong. <laughs> okay, so you had not done anything at all in terms of being a director at that point. No, I don't know where that DEFCON 4 stuff comes from. I, I just finished the film. I, I didn't do any shooting. Yes, it's 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 a very, it's one of the most unreliable narrators on the yeah. web is IMDb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why I always have to ask a question with, you know, I, yeah. trepidation. I don't know if that's true. but The largest and most unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> So were you ner you were nervous to to direct this as your first feature? There's a a story where Robin Vision came in uh, says he came into your office and you were just sitting there and you were kind of unable to move because you were so nervous to to start directing the film. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. IMDb, we were going to send you send them an email. Well, that's <laughs> that's from Leviathan, but then again, that's not oh, the definitive Hellraiser uh, documentary uh, that we, we need. No, to let's get be to. clear. When Bullshit. Tony says it's not true, he's saying the story is not true. It's almost certainly true that Robin Virgin said it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's bullshit. <laughs> got it. Got it. But no, are I, mean, you... I, I don't, I don't, um, I never had any trepidation going out and directing. I just, I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. Um, and uh, Robin, and Dave Worley, the camera operator, and Andy Armstrong, the first AD, helped me, especially the first two weeks. Um, but after, but no, I was not paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, it's. I, I thought it was a unique and weird story, and apparently <laughs> false for for a good reason. Well, Robin's a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> the only time Tony was paralyzed on set was when he sent Gavin, the PA, to get him a glass of water from the fridge. Tony mm. was all but a teetotaler at this time. And Gavin opens the fridge, sees a glass of clear, transparent liquid, hands it to Tony, who throws it down, pure vodka. So he was <laughs> paralyzed oh, no. for about five minutes after that. <laughs> is it Gavin? No. Am I misremembering his name? It's I Gavin, think that was right? Gavin, yeah. 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 Well, that's well, a surprise. Then, who takes a glass out of a fridge without checking what's in right. the fucking <laughs> Oh, a pre-poured glass of water. Yes. How convenient. Uh, Gavin is now a member of the House of Lords. Yeah. <laughs> that would make sense. All right. Um, so another interesting element of uh, Hellraiser 2, and I'm not trying to skip to the end here, 
about Hellraiser 2, but it's interesting that it's a Christmas movie. How about that? Released well, right there in the Christmas season. Well, unlike yeah, Die Hard, yeah. it's not a Christmas movie internally, but <laughs> right. yeah, it was released on December 23rd, yeah. which seemed crazy. I don't know. When you okay. see it in that frame of mind, there's just lots of Christmas stuff in it. You know, I mean, the, there's a box. It's red a gift, and green. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, what, you, what an odd time to release the movie. Was this just because New World was just like, we got to, at this point, they're having a lot of financial issues. Were they just trying to get it out there? Or? Yeah, they thought it would work. Really? Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it actually, you know, it, what it did is it gave the film a reputation of not being successful because it didn't do its expectations the first week. First week the second yeah. week, it did not fall off mm. particularly. Mm -hmm. So its theatrical was pretty much, I think, a, the same as Hellraiser, but it, the perception was different. Okay. It was a bad time to release the movie. That's Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if they thought maybe because Angel 3, which they released in November, that's more of a Thanksgiving film. So, <laughs> you know, you don't want to mess that up. Or maybe they were Somebody hoping... read a book on counter-programming and thought they were being <laughs> smart. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Or maybe they were just trying to like help promote Felix the Cat, the movie, which is coming out in January following it. So they were just trying to help that one out too. Uh, yeah. Just an odd, just an odd mix of films that they're releasing at that point in time. Um, yeah. So you said that they didn't have quite the reaction, did? But the reaction uh, from fans was still pretty, pretty positive. Were yeah. you pleased with the reaction to the film? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the film, the film got a lot of good reaction. I, mean, I think it got a lot of good reaction. I think you know, Clive Barker made a great film, apparently. Right. I'm sorry, I'm talking Hellbound. I'm talking I was Hellbound. just going to say, you, well, you have to plug into Tony's long-harbored resentment <laughs> for the fact that his first movie did really well, but nobody talked about him, because uh, mm. including New World's marketing department, Clive Barker takes us on a descent into hell. Right, um, right. If, yeah. if anybody else had, who had... If anybody else's first horror movie had made that kind of money on that kind of budget, they would have been being talked about a lot more than Tony was, I think. Mm, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's a story that um, Steven Spielberg really directed Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. right. And this was kind of the same story. Well, right. no, nobody ever claims Clive directed for you. Uh, kind of. Hmm. Do they? Yeah. Well, I you know, I've heard it. I've heard it. People ask me questions, Pete. So really, it's an irritant. Let's say, but I long since sure, yeah. gotten over. But well, like you and he... me both. I mean, we both get the. You know, who 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 directed that shot? The fucking director. Who right. do you think? Mm -hmm. right. And you know, that I didn't who, change per shot. <laughs> who wrote? You will be. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. The fucking writer. You know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. um, I, I will always say this, that that making a movie is collaborative. It's always collaborative. There are no auteurs unless you have a, one person and one camera. And that's it. The what you talked about earlier was the rebirth of Frank scene that had many parents. Mm -hmm. Me, it had Floyd Hughes, the storyboard artist. It had Bob Keane who designed it. It had Robin Vision who shot it. And that, I mean, it was it was done by many people. Mm -hmm. Right. So the brand name is a useful marketing tool for any um, smart corporation. So, right. you know. Yeah. I, I was going to ask now, I remember when Hellbound came out and I remember I, I actually going back to crime uh, to uh, crimes of passion. And I know that you said that was a very frustrating production. Um, and I remember at the time when that came out, there was a lot of press around it being a potentially X-rated movie and they had to make all these cuts. And then on video, there were two versions you could get and Hellbound had sort of the same press around it. A lot of cuts. It was, yeah. they had to cut it down so much to be, to get an R rating 
um, did you kind of, how was that process? And were you kind of looking at that going, oh, here we go again with all these cuts yeah. that we have to make? And the, the MPAA treated independent films differently than studio films. They were harder on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I, I had to go to New York and, and go in front of the, the, the whatever they were, the rating people and, and justify the, the, leave it the way it was having just been cut. And I lost. Hmm. They, they said, no, cut it more. What happened was somebody from the from that board called up, I'm not sure who it was, maybe it was Steve White, and said, look, just do a little bit more and we'll approve it. So I think we literally cut out two frames. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that I mean it was they I mean, literally and they approved it. But that it was it was tough. I mean the the, the they were cutting some really good things up. Specifically, the scene I remember, which I didn't really understand, I, I think they were just repelled by it, was Julia on the mattress. That was the one that mm-hmm. they really chopped to pieces. It's unwatchable yeah. in the domestic theatrical right. version. So, um, but, I, but I was very proud of that scene. Yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, I remember so, seeing the R-rated version first, and yeah. on video, the uncut version came out, and. I, I don't remember exactly how I came to this conclusion. So, because it, it was a, quite a few years ago, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, this movie makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I love the R rated version, but there were a lot of, wait, I don't really get what happened there. But okay, I'm willing to go with it, you know? Yeah. No, I, I was, you know, that's one of the best days I had on set directing that scene because I just had it down. Mm-hmm. I knew how it should how it should play and in fact when she comes out of the mattress and yeah blood's scattered yeah. i'm always amused to remember that i had a blood squirt gun and i hit <laughs> and cram him in the face with it first take <laughs> <laughs> nice did, he, job. Did, he, did he know you were going to do that because his reaction is yeah. terrific to I, I didn't think he knew i was that good a shot ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great um, so when, when did you guys start thinking about part three? Was that also in post for Hellraiser for Hellbound? Well, it, it's, it's, it was later, but it was no longer New World Pictures. Mm-hmm. I, that's well, what I wondered. Well, how long, was, how there, was long another, there was another Hellraiser 3 that was going to be in New World. Uh, and in fact, we were in pre-production on that. Um, yeah, they were going to make a Hellraiser 3, which was a completely different story than the one we ended up making. Um, was it one that you wrote? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and this was, and it was still, this was still going to be a Film Futures production, which was uh, Chris and Clive's company. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Film Futures production paid for and uh, released by New World. And Chris Fig and I went over and met Bob Ramey um pitched it um they commissioned it again at least two drafts and we were at pinewood in pre-production um the great comic book artist mike plug was doing storyboards i remember i just remember being thrilled that the the werewolf by night guy was uh was <laughs> illustrating my script yeah, right <laughs> um and i believe it was then literally three weeks from production that new world was sold or went bankrupt or whatever it was that happened. Tony would probably have a better handle on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And what version, so what you're saying, there's seven different versions. What did, was that version different than what eventually then got made? Oh yeah, absolutely. Completely different story. Yeah. Because Tony had gone on to do children of the night for Fangoria in 91. Um, Tony, when when did they go bust? The guys were just asking me. I, I was saying that Chris and Chris Fig and I went over and met with Bob Ramey to pitch the other version of Hellraiser Three, the one you weren't involved with, um, and we were in pre-production on that at Pinewood when New World went bust or sold out to Coppin. When was that? Ninety. Was it? 
So, yeah, because yeah. by 91, you and I were doing the other one for Larry at Transatlantic. Yeah, yeah. That was 91, right? Right. Yeah, because Larry Cuppin took the rights and made Transatlantic and took the Hellraiser rights. Yeah, he, he once got New the World sort of imploded. The spoils, yeah. Yeah. And but, then... um, yeah, the other one was, um, well, I mean, you know, there's, there's black market scripts have been knocking around for 30 years. <laughs> People express sympathy to me. Having read that, they say, wow, there was hardly anything of that left in the movie. <laughs> and I have to explain a different project, right. different okay. owners, because Larry had the rights to the franchise. He didn't have the rights to that script. Got it. That, um, oh, I see. Paid for. And um, how long were you still attached to the project, Tony? Uh, I don't remember. He this. wasn't attached to that. You you were doing okay. Children of the Night, right? You'd gone. Yeah. I, who was attached? I don't remember. I don't remember. Maybe there wasn't a director at that point. Hmm. You were involved enough to have come up with the story with, with Peter. No, not that one. This, oh, not this that one. I predates see. I see. The, the Tony and I one. Okay. Got it. Got it. There's, there's a there's a very boring article I wrote called Building the Beast in Stages, which I do not recommend to you, but it is available <laughs> okay. if you wish to read it. We're already We've looking read, it up. Yeah. So. Hold on. Writing that down. Oh, Got do it. it right okay. Now. Do it right now. <laughs> well, you know, um, a guy, Danny Stewart, who is one of the executive producers of Leviathan, has just released a book through Burmana called mm -hmm. War is Hell The Making of Hellraiser 3 which is primarily just on-set memories from cast and crew. But um, I gave him permission to reprint the article, which is genuinely like 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So um, on the other hand, why, why spend money? If you go to the Revelations website, the Phil and Sarah Stokes website about Clive, um, you can read that article for free, and that will tell you all about the, the seven different versions of Hellraiser 3. Wow. The only one that matters is the one that Tony and I came up with and that Tony was slated to direct for, for Larry Coppin until Larry, we, we can name names, right? Of course. Until Larry Mortoff yeah. stabbed him in the back. Hmm. And, um, yeah. And, yeah. and did you just get removed from it, Tony? Did he just say? Yeah. The... Um, I, I never quite figured out what happened, ex what was really going on behind the scenes, but but um, let's say Larry Mortoff said some weird things about me mm. that um, were strange. Mm. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Yeah, I'd, I, there's the only line I've read about it was that they thought that your version of it was going to be too dark, which seems odd for anyone that's entering into a Hellraiser movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't understand what that means. Well, we were, you that's, know? that is bullshit. I mean, put it we, that way, that's that is basically the essence because we were doing Hellraiser, right? But <laughs> that's a dark story. I don't understand how you would. Well, these, I mean, these were these were the wrong guys to be making the movie. I got it. Got it. There wasn't enough musical numbers. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um, but also, just to put a funny little uh, end note on that, I think it just might be um, a Pavlovian power move that is in Larry Mortoff's wheelhouse because, bizarrely, nearly twenty years later, um, he he did the same thing to Tony Hickox. Um, mm -hmm. Who was the guy he brought in to, to do replace Alan Earth. Yeah. Um, and then 20 years later, an older script that Hickox and I had written together. And Tony, if you're listening, I'm only calling you Hickox to distinguish you from Tony Randall. Uh, <laughs> Tony H, I'll call him. Uh, a script that Tony H and I had done that he was going to direct. Um, again, three weeks before production, Larry Mortoff replaced him. <laughs> so it just, it strikes me that maybe that it's just a power move on, on Larry's ah. part. He, uh, hmm. Because if he brings somebody in, as, as Tony can attest, that close to production, yeah, the director isn't as... Prepared, right? Well, isn't as, as prepared and in a way isn't psychologically as overall in charge of the shoot. Right. Um yeah, it so, seemed like you would know, be doing it, the project it, a disservice. It might help Larry. Sorry, go ahead. 
it might it just seemed like that would be a doing the whole film a disservice to to that close to production yes i agree <laughs> <laughs> well uh i you know obviously i i felt very terrible when um i was back in liverpool and i got a phone call from tony we assumed we were going to be we'd worked with those guys for a year um and the story was with both of ours and I'd done at least three drafts of the script if not more and I went back to Liverpool assuming that you know any day now Tony R would be shooting the movie and then I got a phone call from him saying I've just been fired Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so yeah so then at at any point I know that you worked on Peter you worked on four like mm-hmm. as as all the other sequels and multiple sequels happened, like how was there ever conversation of you two coming back together and okay, let's let's keep this going or or even like down the road after many of the sequels, like let's get the team back together that was behind Hellbound and like no, no, because by, by then the people in charge were Bob and Harvey Weinstein. They you know Miramax had um we're really getting away from new world. So, right. but I'll, I'll make this Bob and Harvey distributed. Um, and I would like to make it clear for anybody listening that just because I use their first names does not mean I in any way approve of the actions that have placed one of them in jail. Of course, of course. <laughs> but Bob and Harv uh, picked up Hellraiser three for distribution and then um, leased or bought. I'm not privy to the details the the actual franchise from right. Larry. So from Hellraiser 4 onwards, Miramax owned, to all intents and purposes, the franchise. Um, and post Hellraiser 4, they went, they not only went direct to video, they also went non-union. Right. So, right. I mean, even if they had asked me to write any of the direct-to-video sequels, I, I couldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, though, let me hasten to add, they were not about to ask me to write any right. of the sequels because they retroactively blamed me for Hellraiser 4. For Bloodline, yeah. Forming as well as the others at the box office. Oh, Which wow. I know that you, you know, maybe have a mixed relationship with that movie. I will say when we ranked all the Hellraisers, Bloodline ranked very high with all three of us. Mm-hmm. Now, did, it, um, did, it beat, did it beat three? Because I know a lot of people think three is too glossy, Hollywoody, 80s-ish, and a lot of people like it. So some people know that Bloodline is a mess, but still prefer it to the it, slick three. It, it did not. Um, it did uh, not with all three of us, but but with most of us, yes. Bloodline did uh, <laughs> did did go uh, past three. Uh, and I know that you have a new book out, which is the original the original script, or rather maybe around the second draft of Bloodline, which people can now purchase. Yeah, I think it's, I and mean, I'm sure it's actually the fourth draft. It, it was the shooting script. Shooting the, script, The yes. script that got greenlit, the script that should have been the movie. Got yes. Is, um, yes, thank you for the plug. That's uh, you're welcome. available well, on Amazon right now. Thank it you. is. In <laughs> fact, I just purchased it. I just haven't been able to read it, but I did purchase it. And I know you talked about it on the Best Movies Never Made podcast, which is a great podcast, and you should listen right. to Peter on it. And it's you go into huge details uh, on that. Um, so I, I don't want to bother you <laughs> with all those details because you've covered it. Um, <laughs> but um, I think I think one thing that I just want to touch on is and I know we're kind of getting towards like that. We've gone through the history of a lot of things here and getting towards the end of it. Uh, but I, I really want to I'm curious, Tony, as we're getting towards the end of New World here, how much involvement were did you have working at New World as we're getting close to 1990 and things are starting to get a little shaky? No, I was, um, uh, when I went off to direct Hellbound, I was no longer an employee of New World. So Pete and I came back to develop a script, but um, it was first, it was it was John Paragon, John right? Paragon, right? John Paragon, right? John Paragon wrote a script. He recently died. Everybody's died. Will you um, stop with this? Jesus Christ! Dying. Can you start remembering people who have years ahead of them? Yes, <laughs> it's like us. It was Alcatraz two thousand, and then Pete and I took over the project. But 
I knew, in fact, there was a, I don't even remember the production executive's name, but they hired a new production executive. And he was behaving as if, yeah, we're going to make, you know, write this and make it. And I'm thinking, you're going broke, man. This company's going down. What are you talking about? Wasn't it Randy? Wasn't Randy Levinson our executive on that? Maybe, but there was somebody else who was a senior VP above Randy. And nice fellow. I do not remember who it was. Um, But... um, he was very enthusiastic. It's like nobody told him that he had just been hired to a company <laughs> right. going out of business. Oh, that's like, that's that's like my friend who got hired by MySpace about a year after Facebook went public. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, Oops. have you not read the writing on the wall here? Yeah. So, yeah. Now, when you were working for New World, though, before Hellbound or around that time, did, did were there signs? Was there? Did you kind of see that this, that was an inevitability, or or was that not? Something when, that anyone foresaw. When films keep flopping, and <laughs> there are in, now there's a new world television division that's right. a money drain because they were trying to buy themselves into TV. Uh, they were doing good shows. I think a Crime Story, right? Mm-hmm. And, Sled- uh, Sledgehammer. Yeah, they um, were doing shows that, but they w- were you know it's all this deficit financing in television. So you had to, for deficit financing to work, I don't know if it's the same way now, but for deficit financing, you had to have five years of a series to make it go into syndication and pay off. They weren't making it. And I just thought, this isn't going to work. At some point, the money's going to run out. Yeah. Um, It did. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, that, and that, and that, uh, it means that inevitably our podcast will end at some point. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I guess so. Luckily, there's le- five years worth. You can go in syndication. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, was, I was about to say our podcast never started with any amount of money, and it has. So that's fine. We're all fine on that score. But um, to get back to you know this whole thing came about because I had uh, this interview and everything came about because I had posted on our Twitter that I had watched Ticks uh, because I just got the new Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, and Peter saw that and was like, "Hey." you should talk to Tony. And I was like, I would, we would love to talk to Tony. Are you kidding? And I, I, I love the version of uh, the, 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 the new version, the new Blu-ray of text looks just looks, looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it looked incredible. And I was wondering, are you, are you just happy to see that movie get the sort of resurgence? And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy with the film. Uh, there's a book that I think Fangoria put out that says of 50 greatest horror movies that you've never seen. And it's included. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I like the film. I think it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it is. It it's is. Just, it's just got a really good spirit about it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's yeah, it's a great cast. Um, yeah. You know, um, you also have a great cast, though. I'm wondering if this might lead to other films of yours, sort of also getting because they also did Amityville 1992 as well. Vinegar Syndrome put that out as well. Oh. Um, does this does this does this mean that around the corner we might see Fist of the North Star? No idea. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I just I mean I haven't heard. Is that I mean I assume it's out of print. Is it out of print? I I, I watched it the other day, uh, but Sorry. I had to see I see it on YouTube. Oh. Um, oh. So I don't know if there's any physical release. There might be old DVDs that are, uh, you know, there. My, oh, it was definitely. Like... Oh, th- yeah, there's no Blu-ray. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was on VHS and DVD for sure. Which also has another great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Penn looking very much. Um, uh, but Chris Penn looks a lot like Chenard in that film. Like he has that the thing that's on his face. Yeah. That Chenard look on it. And he used composer uh, Chris L. Stone, who did the, uh, he actually did the cover girl uh, score. Mm-hmm. From New World Pictures. Ah, oh, uh, I didn't know that. Didn't know that, did you? <laughs> yeah. And Joel Joel Swasson co-produced it, and we we got to interview Joel Swasson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we did a lot of we, in, we informally started a band. Yeah, informally, informally. <laughs> mid-interview. Yeah. So yeah. we we haven't uh, you know we haven't released anything I yet. I think we, we called we called that band late stage Hellraisers. <laughs> we did. Nice. Yeah. And we have yet to practice so. or write a single song, but it's yeah, going to happen. But it's getting it's getting there. <laughs> Sometimes you have to think about the songs a long time before you really right. write them. Yeah. Well, we need to have we need to have Peter write it. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We need to have you write the lyrics. You've got so, the musical background. 
Time out. Get Joel on the phone. We don't, oh, we don't have his phone number. We don't have Get Joel number. on the phone. <laughs> but we don't have his phone number. But, um, uh, were, but Tony and I, we were going to do another. What, what, what was Joel's producing partner's name? I mean, I know there was, Mike, there was Zane Levitt and Mike his Lee. partner. And then there was Joel and somebody else. Mike Leahy. Right. And we did Fist with them. When we, did they bats. pick up the colony? Was it bats? Were bats. they going to do? Yeah, bats. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it never, that's when Robbie Little's company started to fail. Right, right. Yes, it never got made. Um, who wrote the line, uh, it ain't easy being sleazy in that film, which Chris, Chris Penn says, was that Chris? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a wild line. I have to say, let me say this about Chris, and it's a sad thing because he had a lot of problems, but he was, he was a good person and he was a very talented actor. His, his demons got him, but mm -hmm. he, he was, he was, and he was a devoted actor. He was serious. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, he was not difficult to work with in terms of you know acting stuff it was the difficulty was the other problems but right right he, he was a good guy he was yeah. a good guy yeah, yeah. Um, well we're we're huge fans because uh, we saw the wildlife at a very impressionable time in our lives and we were <laughs> sold uh so yeah. Chris Penn is terrific in that. Uh, yeah. well, that's yeah. also the at close range. I just oh, so I good. Love that movie. Excellent yeah. movie. Love that movie. Excellent. Yeah, and he was. This is. I was wondering. This isn't just post uh, it, but this is him uh, for Fist and North Star. He had just done Reservoir Dogs as well. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. I think he was in a lot of debt and he needed money, and I suspect mm. that's why he did the film. But. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I I was very pleased with with working with him. Other than yeah. having to deal with his issues at times, but right. never really delayed things. It was just knowing how to deal with Chris. But he was a he was a good person. Yeah, and I, I was saying about the Chris Christopher L. Stone writing the the score because I noticed a lot of your films, obviously going back to Hell, Hell, Hellbound, use a lot of people that use very lush scores. Christopher mm -hmm. Young certainly, and and I do think it adds so much production value to mm -hmm. do that. And you were such a proponent of Chris Young's and it, it, that must have been something that you were very aware of, like the production value that you gain from such a quality score. Well, I think like, like many filmmakers, the, we fall in love with the music of the films very early on in our lives. Mm -hmm. I was buying soundtrack albums before I ever bought rock and roll albums. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was important. I, I, I think, Film music today has kind of, in many ways, lost its way, I think. Yeah. Because the scores are just like not, um, you don't remember the music. But, um, right. you know, I, I was a person that bought soundtracks. I, and I, I do as well. And you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more. And I know you're a fan of Tangerine Dream, which I have so many of their scores. They're like fantastic. I love Tangerine Dream. I know there was a story you said where you you, you played a track for Chris Young and thought it sounded like one of his score, maybe the one from Defcon 4. No, actually, it's a little opposite. I was, I can still, <laughs> funny what you remember. I remember driving and a piece of music from Tangerine Dream came on, and I said, "That's the sound Defcon Four should have." Oh, I see, oh. I see. And I, I told Chris, knowing that he would explode, which he did. <laughs> <laughs> I've got their number. Call them. Well, <laughs> 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 so, but this is like a running gag with you guys because exactly the same thing happened in the editing room at Helba at Pinewood um, because Tony had temp. Uh, had temp tracked, totally. I forget which sequence it was, but it was with something from Dune. Mm -hmm. and it was Toto or Kansas, Dune? I get all those. Toto. 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 And he de you know, showed the sequence to Chris Young and Chris said, you want Toto? Why do you get Toto? I've got it. I, I've, what's his name? Steve Page, the keyboard player. I've got Steve's number right here. Call him. It's <laughs> Well, he did some great scores, including the score to Flowers in the Attic, which, you know, without it, as you said, I'm not sure how watchable that movie is. It makes that movie. Oh, I, a, a... Actually, Tony's too modest to say this, but let me say 
that um, to this day, uh, Chris Young, and Chris has gone on to a fantastic career, obviously. Um, I, I saw him uh, two months ago, the last time I saw him. And to this day, he still says, I owe my career to Tony Randall. He always, wow. He's always said that, and he still says it. So, do, you, do you know this? Well done, Tony. If you did nothing else, you gave <laughs> the job. world Chris Young. <laughs> do you know the story about God and Leviathan? You do, right? Yeah, they, they've seen the documentary, all 11 hours of it, you poor oh. bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch so, the 11-hour version or the three-and-a-half-hour version on the on the box set? I watched both. It would have been the combination of the two that were on the Arrow Blu-rays for both Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. Right. So you know the Morse code story. Yes. Okay. That's, in all, that's in all your films because you're a big ham radio guy. No, and... but the, the story with Leviathan. Oh, then no, then please. No. If you listen to the music, it's going da da dit da 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 dit dit. That's G-O-D. He put it in the music <laughs> because he said, wow. you made a film that where there is no God. Wow. Those who know me know that I'm a pretty militant uh well, let's just be kind and say agnostic. And um, he was he was religious. He was big okay, Catholic. So he, Catholic boy. He wanted to put, put it in there. in there. He said, "I'm going <laughs> to." Wow, godless movie. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, but, That's but also, amazing. But the irony on that is, where correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, um, where he spells out God is when we see Leviathan spitting out its black light. Yeah. So he's saying god but in effect visually and sonically it's saying this is god yeah yeah and i didn't i never looked at this movie as having anything to do with with uh that version of the universe it was something completely different it's not a right. judeo-christian hell right right, right. yeah yeah but that that tickles me because i again this one has nothing to do with new world but hearing hearing that and hearing you say that tony and then knowing that you directed 2018's a doggone adventure so me picturing you going like yeah this godless movie and <laughs> it's super dark and disturbing but then knowing that you will take a dog on an adventure yeah warms my heart to think no... that you have this you know you can watch people be tortured covered in blood all this gory stuff and then at the end of the day you're also like all right we're gonna shoot this scene if anybody messes with a hair on this dog <laughs> you're out of here <laughs> take care of this little precious guy uh, oh, no, he killed the dog there were four of them in the movie. <laughs> what <laughs> oh yeah no. you're like there were Jack four Ross's murphys to change well three of them died because he would not let them use the stunt double yeah, my, my, my children have no idea who I am. <laughs> Just in case there are any literal minded listeners out there, Tony did not kill any dogs. Right. Yes, yes, <laughs> no yes, dogs were harmed Thank in the you. making of a dog. Yeah, you were not yeah. thinking that was serious. But that also teamed you up with Jim Wynorski, who's another Mormon <laughs> guy, yeah. which is kind of funny that that's, you know, that, you know, yeah. that Corman thing keeps keeps kind of following you. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got a call. Because uh, my career had kind of gone a little flat in the mid around the 2005 or so, I still so I started editing, figuring out oh, I'll just you know edit again, and I don't know what happened, how it happened. Jim called me up and wanted me to edit something, so we started. I started working with him, like editing all of his various films, and and uh, yeah, that's Jim is funny. We've known each other since the beginning, really, mm -hmm. 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. he know he he didn't work for New World? I think he worked for Corman once he sold New World. Am I wrong? No, he worked for New World. He did. Okay. Yeah. The first thing that, that Jim and I did together was a trailer, which is one of my favorite oh. little things for Christian F. <laughs> right. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And that was new. That was Corman. That was released by yeah. New World. Yeah. 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 It was one of his foreign acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so and you guys created the trailer for that. Wow. Yeah. And I love that movie. So it was such a thrill to actually have a part of it, not making the movie, but the trailer. I just, I thought the movie was 
it's one of my favorite movies. Do you still often find that those of them that are still around with us, do you still find that you, uh, you know, talk to some of the people that you worked with back in New World or? Uh, once in a while, Don Borchers. Yeah. Uh, Fritz Kirsch, once in a while. Steve White, probably more so. We were supposed to have lunch, but there's, with COVID, we have delayed it. Sure. Um, because you worked for Steve for quite a while. And then yeah. I think Amityville 1992 was for his production company, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he produced it. So um, I saw Roger Burlidge a few years ago. I saw Bill Shields a few years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, pretty much everybody's retired, I'd say. Yeah. Point. I mean, we've all somehow gotten older. <laughs> from, <that's, laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't, yeah, that's odd. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that seems like an odd move. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So what? What are you guys working on now, or are you working on something right now? Are is are, is the team going to get back together? We are. Well, I, I mean, we're making a formative band. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing to do. That's a great thing to do. Can late stage Hellraisers be your opening act? Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll open for you. <laughs> no, Tony is learning piano, which um, he's a very oh, musical wow. guy, but he, but he had never, well, you played a little guitar, right? Yeah, little and, guitar. Um, he decided yeah. when he hit a certain age that he was going to learn piano and he's taking it very seriously and is uh, progressing nicely. That's amazing. Yeah, so but no, that's I'm retired from film. I, I, I have, for the last, I mentally made the leap about a year and a half ago and said, you know, it's, this is not fun anymore. I have great memories of the fun I had. Yeah. And I don't, it's just a very different business now. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, my, my two daughters are part of, various parts of it. And um, I thought, you know, that, that this is their world. That's not my world. The, the, the last big thing I did was edit um, a recut for a, a film called IO on um, Netflix. And it was okay. It was, it was, I, mean, I was working with a, a writer producer named David Elliott. I love, I love, I mean, we, we had a, we just had a great time, but but, eh, you know, the, the experience is sort of, it's the people just, there's no, there's no joy anymore. Anybody you work with, they're all just stressed and tense mm. and it's just not fun. And I, and I thought, oh, we we're just, my, my wife just retired and who knows where life will take you. We just want, we, 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 we have a, a little house and, Greece that that she had inherited from her family and we we just want to go there when we can invite our friends like Pete over to Pete and Dana his wife over to stay and just have fun I, mean, I, yeah. I, just don't, I don't need this anymore mm -hmm. yeah. I hear you as someone whose who's, uh, shop deal for my pilot just died uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, it is a it's, a it's a brutal business, as I'm sure your daughters are. Yeah, and it's just know. not. I'm not part of that world. I mean, yeah. it's just, I'm not making. I'm not going to make a judgment about it for their lives. It's just not part of me. Yeah, mm -hmm. My, the people I know are pretty much all retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Peter, are is there? Do you think there's a? Are you? You know, still writing, still, still, still. I mean, obviously, you're writing. You're writing short fiction. I think you have a. Yeah, prime. I mean, I. You've already hit the cliche that I that I trot out every interview. Um, my advice to young writers is always have my career in reverse. I started in the movies, which pays pretty good. I did a couple of novels, which pay okay, and now I do exclusively short stories, which pays for shit. But, um, <laughs> so you know, it, it's smarter if you do it the other way around. But I did it this way, and I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, my last collection was nominated for the British Fantasy Award. He says braggingly and the new collection will be out next year so that's that's but true unlike tony i can't afford to retire i'm uh so yeah i'm i'm still but i'm, I'm retired from the movies oh, okay. uh, because it might come as a shock to you people but ageism does exist in the industry unless, yeah, oh yes for sure unless yeah. you're already a-list which i never was um 
so yeah, I'm out of the film business, but yeah, still still writing. And also, Tony, you should note that Tony's last directorial gig was directing Slash and the guy from Def Leppard doing yeah. a rock and roll video. So that's uh, that's a that's, nice way to that's go a, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that was a good ending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good ending. Yeah. Um, so there's no going to be Wish, a Wishmaster 5 that you're going to put together. Well, I wasn't involved with Wishmaster 2, 3, or 4. I know, which I don't know why. I was very curious why that was. I, I would say this. If, if somebody said, you know, let's get Pete and Tony back to do a, a Hellraiser film, we would make a hell of a film. I'm, I bet I'm you sure would. That. Yeah. It would be whatever. I hope all my benefactors are listening. Yeah. <laughs> Come it's on, benefactors, gonna, let's it's go. It's not going to happen, but we're, we're both in good health and all that stuff. But I mean, we have a different sensibility. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't. I, I sure. did not watch many of the sequels, but I've, I've seen Pete. The, the, the sensibilities were just different. Yeah, mm-hmm. we yeah. look at things differently, mm-hmm. and we. I don't know. Maybe in a sense, we kind of take it more seriously. I guess. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. Um, those later. Those late stage Hellraisers run the gamut. Yeah. <laughs> boy. Yeah. Boy. Boy. Wow. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Watching all those was a real. Uh, that was. That's time. Yeah. Some of that time we just can't get back. People don't believe me when I I genuinely haven't seen them. I I watched about half of the one. They brought Ashley back for one of them. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I that one's a bit of one of them. Inferno, I believe. That's yeah. the well, is one. that well? That's what I was going to say because you know they they don't get spoken about glowingly. But Scott Derrickson directed. Was it that one? Did he yep. do Inferno? Yep. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's gone on to do Doctor Strange and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yep. presumably it at least has some kind of pictorial pluses i, I would imagine i, I don't know it, it's I, it's unbelievable to me having seen those both hellraiser and hellbound when i was was probably around i don't know i was a preteen teen right. and uh you know then it takes them to almost nine or ten to for them to bring back a skinless person which mm-hmm. to me is huh. like that you seems... know burned into my memory mm-hmm. as that's probably the first time i saw a skinless person in a movie and they ignore it forever and i'm like what did you not see the other hellraiser movies <laughs> i don't understand why this took you so long to get back to that um i think it's when gary tunnicliffe took over well, well that makes sense sure. yeah sure. yeah uh and i realize it's you know a, it's not everyone can just decide to put makeup on somebody and make a skinless person but still it took a long time for them to do that it's like you know come on guys look at the other move there's there's a roadmap there for you mm-hmm. if you take a look at it you know anyway uh well guys thank you so much for this yes. this was yes an unbelievable uh honor for us thank you so much thank you. uh thank you peter for for helping put this together tony thank, thank you, you so thank much you. for agreeing to this and uh such it, a pleasure it, unbelievable to be able to, to we talk kept to it guys. together we kept none, it of together. Us, none of us threw together. up <laughs> right we'll cry afterwards yep it's fine that's right we'll both <laughs> shut this off and we'll both go throw up separately oh, but, no, uh, i mean the next thing i'm going to do after this is scoop cat litter i mean seriously <laughs> glamour glamour showbiz love it love it um we're gonna go ruin our kids lives who are like watching movies and on their you know tablets yeah. and we're gonna have to pull all that away from them and ruin yeah. their their afternoon because we're gonna go kids we're back and they're gonna be like oh what happened we just missed two old guys you've never heard <laughs> wait do we tell you well they've seen the hellraisers of course they have yeah. um <laughs> they're not too they're way too young for it and that's why we, we want that to... in context when we discuss it yeah yeah exactly we don't. Um, but again do a whole podcast on the films pete and i did for for a, a playboy channel probably don't even know about those no, inside yeah. out and inside, inside, out, out, and inside out, too. out too there yeah. you go <laughs> <laughs> they're not easy ones to get you know no they're they're, they're tough tough. those were tough ones to track down i got to watch children of the night and fist of the north star to prep for this which i had just had not seen i'd seen amityville uh i just watched that yesterday (laughs) so but we were trying to i was trying to see everything um Mm -hmm. in advance uh even but inside out and inside out two are next so we're yeah, gonna go yeah, do that this that, afternoon that's right get that's the kids good. get the kids let's you do it got the laser discs? they're only on laser discs as far as i know <laughs> i'm sad that that's the one medium we do not have that's We've the one yeah. everything else yeah. but laser discs. I, I think the two episodes that pete and i did on pete and i worked together were the two best that series ever did 
I'm not sure. Be partial, well, you yeah. would oh, say I believe that, it. wouldn't you? I believe it. They were, they were good, both of them. Yeah, I believe yeah. it. Well, we will have to. We're going to go watch them right now. Uh, get the kid, pop some popcorn for the kids, and we'll sit them <laughs> down, and we'll. Uh, we'll uh, uh, no. What <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 channel? Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's not hardcore, but was it Alan Poole? Remember yeah. the guy from um, not Lynch Frost? What's what's the other production? Anyway, I, when we were doing it, I said to him, "Well, what's what's the thing of the show?" And he said, "If you'll excuse me, it's Twilight Zone with tits, man. It's just Twilight Zone with tits." <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's pretty accurate, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you yeah. guys delivered. So love it. You know, it's yeah. awesome. Uh, again, our, our thank you so much for being thank you. on this. Truly, we really, is. really appreciate this so much. Thank Truly, you. a pleasure meeting you. We yeah. really oh, appreciate all my, your time. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. Thank stories. you. And that concludes. Our interview with Tony Randall and Peter Atkins. We are just so thankful for them for uh, coming on the show, sharing all their insights, sharing their stories, um, letting us get to talk with them about it. This was enormous for us. They they really, I mean, I, we're, I'm so grateful. I think we all are for mm-hmm. the also the amount of time that they oh, gave yeah. to us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this was. We recorded this on a Saturday. Uh, you know, this is the middle of the day, and they have things going on. And yep, yep. You know, it's it, it, this isn't something that's going to be uh, on Shutter or anything like that. Like they're just want they're they're literally sitting down just to talk with us about this. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. really no other end game to it, and I can't express enough how appreciative uh, we are for them taking that time out yeah. of their weekend to talk with us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been amazing the amount of people we have been able to talk to from New World at this point. And uh, we're hopefully going to continue that. Mm-hmm. And if we do, it's because people like Tony and Peter are going to be this gracious with their time and with, you know, uh, their stories and with themselves uh, talking about their experiences and sharing them with us. And, uh, you know, I'm just so it makes me so happy that we get to to do this. And we get to talk to these people. It's 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 a it's an honor for us, and we're just thrilled that we get to do it. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, please rate and review us, and follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope you join us for more episodes. We're gonna have some more interviews, and we're gonna do some more reviews of other movies released by New World Pictures. And we'll see you next time on the New World Pictures podcast. Bye, everybody. <laughs>